0: Here we go. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Junto Cast Extra, a bonus monthly podcast on early American history. The intent of the Junto Cast Extra is to provide a 10 to 20 minute episode between our longer main episodes that will pick up on a particular topic or question relating to early American history that doesn't quite fit in to the parameters of our monthly episodes. I'm Ken Owen and I'm joined by Michael Hattam and Roy Rogers and in this month's Juntocast Extra we're going to be talking about printers in early America. This is going to pick up on some of the things that we talked about in our longer episode on print culture in early America. But one of the things that we didn't really explore in much detail in the episode was the people that were actually doing the printing. And so in the JuntoCast Extra this month, we're going to talk about the printers more specifically themselves. Who were they? What role did they play in the colonial economy, in colonial society, and colonial politics? Michael, would you like to get us started?
1: Sure. One of the things that's important to understand about printers, certainly before the revolution, is that they were tradesmen. They were not the sort of image that we have of 20th century newspaper editors. They were tradesmen, mechanics even, who came largely from the middling class and and often struggled to get by. The major cities in mid-century in the colonies uh, generally had more than one printer, but most places had only one printer. And they relied on government printing contracts, and they published newspapers that were sold through subscription. That is, they weren't sold individually at a newsstand. uh, And often it was very hard for the printers to collect the subscription fees that they were owed by their customers. And printing was also expensive in terms of overhead. Paper was not produced in the colonies, and so it often had to be imported. Most printers had apprentices they had to take care of. uh, So maintenance costs were high, and so were setup costs. It took a significant investment to set up a print shop to rent a shop, to buy a printing press and type from England, and pay to have it shipped to the colonies. So it's really no exaggeration to say that most colonial printers were under constant financial stress, along with the stress of towing a political line so as not to fall into disfavor with the uh, colonial government. And none of this even factors in the, the work itself, which could be quite monotonous and tedious, yet required a, a high degree of constant concentration. So all in all, I mean, being a printer was quite a tough life. It was very much a working class grind for these folks. And that's why there was such a high failure rate in the printing business. The number of printers who had long, successful careers in the colonial and revolutionary period is relatively small.
0: Yes, and I think a lot of our impression of colonial printers gets misleadingly produced because Franklin is so... Successful as a printer and an entrepreneur, but even if we look at Franklin, he has similar struggles. He takes a trip to London and to buy a printing press and finds out that The funds that he was supposed to have never materialise. He's reliant on staying in the good graces of the Pennsylvania Assembly early in his career. And although he does have an enterprising nature that means that he's able to capitalise on events like the speaking tour of George Whitfield that we mentioned in the longer podcast, um, a lot of his earlier life... um, really is precarious and he needs to build the connections both amongst the mechanic community and amongst higher society in in, in Philadelphia in particular to be able to have that springboard to success later in life that he, that he finds. And again, with Franklin, we can also see how it's supplemental things, it's measures like the book trade and, and other enterprises that really give him business success, even if his political writings ultimately have stayed longer in the popular imagination.
1: Right, well, a lot of Franklin's success came from him franchising out his printing business. That was quite a sort of Franklinian development in the middle of the 18th century in the colonies. He would contract out to help someone set up a print shop in a city or a colony that he'd identified as needing a printer and would provide the startup capital. And what he would do is sort of reflective of these challenges that we're talking about. He would provide them with a space. He would secure the press and type, and then uh, try to use his contacts to get them government work. If I'm not mistaken, I he also stipulated that they had to publish a weekly newspaper. And so for all of this, Franklin received, you know, sort of healthy portion of the shop's profits. like I said before, it took capital to set up these print shops. And Franklin made a significant contribution to print culture and the growth of print and its importance in the colonies, while at the same time, uh, you know, making significant money doing so.
0: Yeah, and, the, and I think that's that's really important to see the ways in which Franklin was able to help develop. Um, printing more broadly but I think another thing that Franklin does show that's important when thinking about the mid-18th century experience of American printers is that he does have an editorial role in the newspaper that he produces Um, and it will become obvious why I'm mentioning this when we talk about the way that printers operate later in the 18th century and in the early 19th century but Franklin was able to have a political role whilst still being a tradesman he was able to operate um, as a conduit and an originator of political discourse in Philadelphia even though the sort of work he carried out might um, might had he been in another trade have made it a little bit more difficult for him to occupy that role you know, this was very, um, printing that is, was very much a way in which those from lower orders of society might be able to try and get some sort of foothold within more elite modes of political discourse.
1: Right. And of course, Franklin is the exemplar of that, right? In his newspaper and print production overall, he was um, more authorial than most printers. That is, he wrote more than many printers did. He was more political than a lot of other printers, And, you know, he was able to do that because of his contacts within Philadelphia society and Pennsylvania politics. Um, But also later on, because through his franchising, he no longer relied uh, solely or perhaps even primarily on his own print shop for his income. And so he was able to take more risks than many of his franchisees or other printers.
0: But at the same time, by the time you get to the 1760s and 1770s, you can see that that model is something that is being followed. I'm going to speak of Philadelphia because I know the culture best. Um, I'm sure you'd be able to give examples in, in New York as well, but you know, people like Benjamin Town or Eliezer Oswald very much see themselves as important um, political voices due to the fact that they publish newspapers, um, even if they're not quite as distinguished or as... Um, intellectual um, or as noted as as Franklin was.
1: Right. And in New York, you have someone like James Rivington, who was a royalist printer uh, in the mid-1770s who printed a royalist newspaper. I mean, you're, you're right that by the 1760s and 1770s, printers are generally far more willing to get involved in political debates or conflicts by printing pieces from one side or the other uh, than they had been a few decades earlier. And and in that period, newspapers and printers begin to be identified by their uh, political persuasion or by the, the the reader's perception of it. And I mean, you mentioned something before about printers as a conduit, which is a really apt description, right? Print encompassed so many facets of colonial society. And we talked about this in the, the previous episode. Uh, printers had to collect the news that went in their newspapers. They didn't write the news. They collected it from newspapers and magazines from London that would come in on the packet ships uh, and from other newspapers throughout the colonies. And that's one of the ways that Franklin's Pennsylvania Gazette benefited greatly from his uh, franchising endeavors. And so their job was primarily curatorial. They curated all the news and information coming through the print shop and then chose what was important enough to warrant space in that week's four-page newspaper. So they had a very important role in curating and circulating important and timely information, especially economic information, Uh, stuff like arrivals and departures in the port, legal notices and advertising. Um, You mentioned this in the previous episode, but the newspapers also featured a lot of news from Europe, And that's not because people were generally interested in what was happening in European politics, but because political developments in Europe affected economic relationships. And as a merchant, the more timely and accurate information you had, the better off you were. So colonial printers had a really important role, not just in colonial society or politics, but in the the transatlantic economy of the 18th century.
0: What you're talking about there, Michael, I think gives a very good picture of printers before the revolution. And there's a lot of trends within that that are important after the revolution as well, particularly um, the economic importance of newspapers with regards to advertising and with regards to foreign news. You know, there's certainly no drop off in the spread of foreign news once you get past the um, 1780s. Indeed, news of the French Revolution in particular is something that keeps people flocking to read newspapers and very keen to keep up with latest developments in the 1790s. But I think historiography generally points out that by the 1790s, the social and economic position of a printer is beginning to change, that the way that they could impose themselves on political discussions whilst still being the printer, that is literally the person that sets the type and runs the the presses, is beginning to change. And that by the 1790s, the printer will still do the work, but there will be editors or other um, probably more educated, more elite people that are serving as the conduits of information themselves and so there's a split um in into two roles one of which is the person that actually literally does the printing and then there's the people that deal with the the content themselves and i think that does suggest that there's certainly much more political intentionality on the point of, um, from the part of the patrons that we talked about. Government patronage remains very important, um, but it's much more explicitly looking at political operatives to operate this mechanism and this network of information rather than tradesmen as it had been previously.
2: What's interesting about printing in the early republic is printing becomes much more directly partisan in a way in which while printing was always political in the era of franklin and you you know you see this for the fact that you know printers like franklin or printers like those operating colonies like maryland and virginia you know they not only printed a newspaper or printed the pamphlet literature but they also printed the laws of the colonies and then later the states but what happens in the early republic is printers become much, much, much more directly partisan. They're not just simply having a political uh, newspaper that happens to be political. They're newspaper is backing a specific political party or a specific faction within a political party, which in many ways makes them more directly politically influential in the sense that they often have the ears of governors, senators, senators, and even presidents. But it also makes them much more open to partisan and political attack. And of course, we see this in the Sedition Act, where you see actual printers being thrown in jail, Republican printers being thrown in jail or fined by the Federalist authorities. And, you know, and you see the the way in which this awkward transition is most highlighted is sort of the way in which, as Michael highlights in the actual episode, uh, the, the main episode, the way in which Jefferson uh, funded his, you know partisan newspaper through a sort of backdoor deal that would lead to a a very scandalous New York Times article today, if someone tried to pull this off, you know, funded a partisan newspaper through nominally paying a printer to be the translator for the State Department. You know, that sort of behavior would not really be possible by the 1830s when this link between partisanship and printing is much more explicit. But the fact that Jefferson existed in this liminal period where there was still this link between sort of politics in the abstract sense and, and printing instead of this link between partisan politics and printing that develops by the Jacksonian era.
0: Yes, and I think what both of you have spoken to there, again, links back to our main episode by showing that really printers, as well as print culture, develop in a very different way once we get further into the 19th century, that there's a lot of vitality around print culture in the 1780s, 1790s, early 1800s, but really this is going to be something that changes, again, quite markedly in the next 20 or 30 years. And it shows us the ways in which a close attention to the particular role that printers play within culture, within politics, within broader society, um, can help us understand an awful lot more about the way that ideas were formed, shaped, and distributed um, in early American society. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Juntocast Extra. If you want to find our website, please go to thejuntocast.com. You can find us on Facebook by searching for The JuntoCast and on Twitter using the handle at JuntoCast. If you want to email us, please use the email address thejuntoblog at gmail.com and you can find us on iTunes, again, by searching for The JuntoCast. Please leave us a rating and review when you go there. We also have a listener survey on our website. Please do go and fill it out. Let us know what you like and let us know what you would like to see more of on the JuntoCast. Thanks to Michael and Roy for joining me for this edition of the JuntoCast Extra and we hope that you'll join us again for the next episode.